the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello, I'm Tiffany McTaggart. And I'm George Gawley. Welcome along to the Animal Health and Welfare series of podcasts, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. During 2021, we'll be bringing you eight podcasts. We want to provide you an insight into latest strategies which are being both developed and implemented with the ultimate aim of improving the welfare of our livestock. Over the course of the next year, we'll be disseminating topics such as precision livestock farming, genetics, behaviour, disease and resistance and how these challenges can be overcome to allow us to meet the challenges of the future. Hello and welcome to the SRUC Dairy Research and Innovation Centre at Crichton Royal Farm in Dunfries. Today the focus is on dairy. In today's episode, myself and Tiffany will be joined by research associate Dr David Bell to discuss his work, which has been centred around respiratory disease in pre-weaning calves, along with the climatic effects of housing post-weaning. We'll also be joined by Senior Animal Health and Welfare Researcher, Professor Marie Haskell, to discuss her work, much of which has been aimed at finding reliable and practical methods for assessing animal welfare on farm. But before speaking to our researchers, we decided that it would be a good idea to catch up with farm manager, Hugh McClymas, for an overview of the farm. Hello Hugh, thank you very much for inviting us down to Crichton today. Would you just like to start by telling us a wee bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, good afternoon. Whoever's listening to this, it is afternoon here and the sun is shining. Uh, Hugh McClymont, Farms Manager here for the SRUC South and West Farms. Uh, We're standing on Crichton Royal Farm, where uh, it is predominantly the Dairy Research and Innovation Centre, but Crichton Royal Farm consists of the main steading and also Acrehead Dairy Unit. Acrehead Dairy Unit uh, has been here on Crichton since 1979. 42 years has passed. And that's the length of time I've been at Crichton Royal because I came to Acrehead when it was a brand new dairy unit to milk the cows. And I'm still here yet. But Crichton Royal main steading where we are, and we're about to have probably a quick walk around the, the old buildings here, was completed construction in 1896. So it's quite an old farm's steading as such. So my role is now, uh, since, sorry, has, has expanded, i.e. In, in the last two years, I was also asked to take on the responsibility of the farm's management at Barony Farm, which is 10 miles north of Dumfries, where we have their 230 milking cows, 550 uh, use low ground use a mixture now of scotch mules and and highlanders and dorsets and changing the whole sort of sheep experience there for primarily students because barony is a teaching farm 
and uh, we need to show students many different applications of sheep sheep management. So that's that's just actually coming into being there. Two hundred and thirty dairy cows is purely a milking platform at the moment, and uh, at some point in the hopefully not too distant future, there will be massive development plans taking place there to build a, a cow a new dairy adjoining the existing one for in excess of 600 cows. Back at Crichton at the moment, uh, we carry the last count there at the uh, end of September, we were at 440 cows here and 230 at Barony. So that kind of gives you the, the, the total number of adult dairy cows we have. We're running them all as one farm, uh, whereas all the dry cows are housed at Crichton Royal and every cow calves at Crichton Royal. So basically that streamlines and keeps all the operations on one farm. When I inherited the, the barony unit, there was a lot of duplication going on. And to try and simplify and, and, and sort out the direction of travel for when the development takes place, barony can continue producing milk, but will continue to, to, to breed the, cow, the cows here as in uh, calve them down. And then eventually when they're fit to travel, they return back to barony. That also aids and abets Crichton, uh, its function as a research farm, uh, as we've just recently uh, um, um, invested in new additional calf accommodation in the shape of mobile uh, veranda igloo system. And that coincided with a huge uh, upsurge in, dare I say it, calf rearing research. And that is what has sort of made this the task much easier with all the cows calving on the one unit. Calves are getting all the same management and then they roll on to whatever studies has been there. So, so that uh, sort of wraps up our, our, our calf rearing. We've now made our way round to the calf hutches here at Crichton, where we're now joined by Dr. David Bell and Professor Marie Haskell. David, many thanks for joining me today. Thank you. And Marie, thank you for showing us around today. Yeah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, David, would you first like to just start by telling us a wee bit about who, who you are and what, what you do here at Crichton? Yep. So I'm Dr. David Bell. I'm just a recent uh, PhD graduate and uh, a research associate with the Beef and Sheep Research Centre and based in East Howgate. But the main focus of my work is really on calves and sort of calf health and calf welfare. And Marie, could you tell us a wee bit about who you are and what you do here at Crichton? Sure. So I'm Professor Marie Haskell and my um, I'm a researcher and my really my real interest is in uh, the welfare of um, dairy cattle and particularly in welfare assessment. David, you recently completed a project studying the effects of climatic housing environment on the growth of dairy calves in the first month of life. Could you tell us a bit more about the project? Yep. So in that project, we were looking at the sort of thermal comfort aspect of the calves. The thermal comfort of the calves ranged between 15 and 25 degrees Celsius. But as you know, calves are exposed to temperatures that could be as down as minus 10 or especially like this year when it was like 25 and above. So if temperature goes below 15 degrees, that is when they start to have to express either a change in behaviour or increase the amount of energy from their feed. So one of the things we were looking at is that, well, the climate is not a static thing. Other aspects 
play their part as well, such as wind speed and relative humidity, amount of sunshine and rainfall. So we looked at the proportion of time that the CAV spent below its lower critical temperature in terms of the effective temperature. Now the effective temperature took into consideration these aspects such as wind speed and relative humidity levels as well as air temperature and creates an overall feels like temperature. So we looked at how many hours the CAV was spending above or below its lower critical temperature each day over the space of a month. And we then weighed the CAV on a regular basis so we could effectively work out the daily life weight gain over that period of time. This was carried out in two phases. So the calves here are individually housed up to about six to 14 days of age, which was phase one. And then from then onwards, they are moved into a group hut situation. And in the Crichton, we use the igloo pens. So in the phase one, we found that the proportion of time that the calves spent below its lower critical temperature had quite a significant effect on its daily life weight gain. So calves that were spending more than 96% of their time below their lower critical temperature, this had a negative effect on their daily life weight gain. So essentially they were losing weight and essentially the reverse was also true. So calves that were spending probably more time above their lower critical temperature had a more positive impact on their daily life weight gain. So David, off the back of your work, um, what improvements could be made to calf housing um, to try and keep their temperature more regular? Maybe some, not so much changes in terms of the physical housing environment, but there are sort of practical measures that farms could do. So the first one is quite an easy one, and that is simply applying more bedding. So most people bed their calves on straw. Um, so the calf has a chance to nest down into it. And again, this can be easily assessed because there's an available nesting score where zero is where we can't um, see the calves legs and three is where we can see the calves legs. So it's quite a nice, simple, easy method. The other one would be probably to either increase the concentration of the milk um, if people are feeding their calves with milk replacer powder or simply by increasing the volume. So giving the calves more energy and essentially providing more heat for the calf to keep warm in these colder times. Thank you, David. That's a really useful thing that farmers can do on their own farm. You also recently completed a project studying the early detection of respiratory disease in pre-weaning dairy calves. Can you tell us a bit more about why it's important um, to detect the uh, respiratory diseases quickly and how you did it? So respiratory disease is one of the two sort of main calf diseases, um, especially in pre-weaned calves. And as it's starting to be shown in a lot of different studies that there's early impact um, on future productivity. So if calf has experienced more episodes of respiratory disease at a younger age, this can have a long-term effect on its future production, um, especially in the milking herd, where there's studies that have shown this can be up to as much as 500 litres reduction in, in yield. So one of the things that we were looking at is various methods that we could use, such as technology or visual scoring systems, where we could try and detect respiratory disease at an earlier stage. Yeah, so by looking at respiratory or trying to detect respiratory disease at an earlier stage, that then would possibly prevent the use of antimicrobials and potentially um, use a non-steroidal instead. 
So again, there's a sort of antimicrobial usage aspect to the project. So we were looking at various technologies and one of the things we looked at was activity meters. So again, could we predict the onset of respiratory disease from the cab's general standing in line activity? And also we were using group milk feeders, um, automatic milk feeders. So the data that comes from them is quite vast. And again, we looked into that to see if we could predict if the calf was visiting more to the feeders, if it was spending longer trying to drink from the feeders, various aspects like that, which could then be used to predict disease. These calves were also uh, Wisconsin scored on a daily basis. So Wisconsin scoring is a visual health scoring system for calves that is available for everyone to use. And that involves taking a rectal temperature and then visually assessing nasal discharge, eye discharge, the placement of the ears and the head of the calf, and also if the calf was seen coughing. So David, the calves that we're looking at at the minute have a bracelet around one of the hind legs. Is that for the activity monitoring? Yep, so that's one of the types of activity monitors that is available for use. Um, these measure the motion of the calves and also the standing in line bouts for the calf. So essentially how many times in the day that the calf is standing and how long it's standing for on each bout and also how long it's lying for and how many times it's lying in the day. That's very interesting. Thank you, David. Marie, what would you like to add to that? Thanks, Tiffany. Yeah, it's really interesting about what is essentially a Fitbit for calves because what we're monitoring there is the behavior of the animals. And this detection of disease was all about trying to understand something we call sickness behavior but in human terms, you can imagine if you feel sick, you lie down more, you eat less, you're less sociable, just feel rubbish. And that's what we're trying to pick up with these activity monitors. Uh, is the animal lying down more? Is it lying for longer bouts, et cetera? And actually, that's what the data did come and tell us was that they are lying more. And actually, these things, you know, these changes appeared two or three days before the farm were picking up the animal as being sick or the Wisconsin score was showing the clinical signs of it as well. So that's really interesting that you can pick up early. And the other thing I suppose was that the milk feeding as well was picking up that animals were starting not to feed, to be more reluctant, having fewer visits there. And again, it was a kind of an early predictor of the clinical signs appearing, which was really, really interesting. Marie and David, you've both been working on a whale calf project. Could you tell us more about it? The whale calf project was an Innovate UK project and was um, a collaboration between us and a, a, uh, a startup company who actually took this idea that we can mount monitor activity and feeding a little bit further. So they produced their own ear tag, which they're going to start to market to farmers and be something that can be bought. And they put it in the ear of the calf. And our job was to see whether the, whether the data that came off them was matching the health of the calf. So in other words, could you make a commercial product that monitored activity and then uh, predicted disease? So that was our part of the project. So as part of this project as well, not only did they use the Crichton as a sort of test site, but they also had uh, up to 15 commercial farms that were testing the system on a sort of normal system. So the information that they were getting from these farms as well proved extremely useful. And it also brought up other ideas from different calf rearing methods. 
that they then had to incorporate into their own system. It's exciting to hear that these new technologies are being uh, progressed at the minute and will be coming to the market. Yep, it's, it's all very well that these technologies are being developed and that's great. But I think people must need to remember that these are just aids to help in the detection of disease and that they're not to be seen as a replacement for good stockmanship skills. Um, I think that is essentially the first main protocol is your eyes, basically. We have a few pens of calves in front of us. Are these calves involved in any projects? Yes, these calves are actually involved on a study to look at what we call quality of life. So um, coming from the human side, this has been used a lot. It's trying the idea that the experience of disease for a, for an animal, for a human, is more than just the physical signs of having a high temperature um, and the physiological change. It's really how you feel. And we're trying to uh, apply that approach to calves. So we're actually, what the project is about is to try and understand, um, well, trying to create some scales for these things. So to look at the things that change when an animal is sick, like its demeanor, does it look droopy today? What its ears doing? What are the eyes doing? Is it slow to come forward to, to feed? And that that's create you know, a set of um, scales that uh, farmers can use to look, look at their animals. Yeah, so the study is involving up to 100 calves. And just like Marie has said, we're trying to look at other aspects as part of this um, whole project, other than the sort of clinical signs. So essentially what we're trying to do is build into our scoring system the behaviour of a calf. That is the first thing that people will see when they enter the pen. So is the calf socially isolating from others? And how responsive is the calf when it, when you go into the pen? Is it running up towards you or is it hanging back at the pen? Also, the like Marie has said, the feeding behaviour aspects. So how was the calf when it, feed was presented? Was it already waiting in anticipation? Or had you to physically go and encourage that calf forward? And as well as that, we're looking at the motivation at feed. So is the calf suckling um, and drinking quite happily and quite rapidly or is it quite slow and sluggish or is it displaying no interest in the feed at all so again these are simple signs that people can see straight away Marie I hear you've been part of quite a controversial project um, which is looking at keeping the calf on the cow yes it was a really interesting project so the idea is that um, rather than separating the the dairy calf from the cow at around uh, one day of age, that you keep the cow with the calf for an extended period. And we were working with a farm um, here in Dupreece and Galloway that keep the cows and calves together for up to five months. Um, and I suppose it was really driven for that farmer by the kind of stress he saw in his cows and calves and wanting to do something different. And actually, um, in Europe, this is more common than you'd think. So particularly in Germany where they have they have a lot of organic farms, some of the smaller ones are using this cow and calf system. So they've got um, at least 100 farms who are keeping cows with calves. And what they're playing to is the part of the consumer market who really value this type of pro approach. And as well as welfare, the whole ethics of the farming system is is appeals to some um, consumers. But, I mean, 
what we our study was quite ranging. We looked at the kind of environmental aspects of the whole farm, which you know they they've embraced organics, but also looking at soil fertility, generating energy, and all sorts of things. Um, so that that appeals to the kind of the ethical consumer. But we also looked at how much it would actually cost for a litre of that milk. How much would you have to pay the farmer? And it came out at about 40 pence per litre, which is obviously considerably higher than your average farmer milk price at the moment. So clearly, this is going to be a niche product for, for a certain type of consumer. Um, and we are, we're not looking at dismantling the whole dairy industry tomorrow on the back of this type of study. But what we, just, what we wanted to do was just provide some information for people if they thought this was something they wanted to get into. And there, there's quite a bit of interest from farmers who, who see stress in their cows, who see that there might also be an opportunity to make money from a different type of system. So it was a really interesting study. In this study, did you see a remarkable difference in how calves grew on and their disease level? Yeah, really interesting question. Yes. Not surprisingly, calves go really well on that system because they're with their mothers, they're getting day, you know, moment by moment access to as much milk as they want, no restrictions at all. So they were achieving really good growth rates. And we also looked at that farm's kind of health records, how much treat how many treatments they were giving calves and cows. And yeah, the calves uh, are very healthy. I mean, they did have a problem when they started the system with pneumonia, because of course you've got young, naive calves with adult cows and the possibility of transmitting disease there. So they had to really manage it very, very well. But now they've got their systems in place, uh, the calves ha don't have much disease. And also the other disease of the cows is better. So there's less mastitis and lower cell counts in these systems, perhaps because the calves are kind of evacuating the udder properly and, and so on. So that's really interesting. Um, and what this farm is doing also is they are kind of selling their calves to a niche market as well because there's a market premium. They can say these, uh, you know, these are this is high welfare beef effectively. So they have a, a product as well as uh, the milk. They have the the beef as well. Thanks for that, Mary. That's really interesting hearing about an alternative system. What kind of uh, research do you think that could be going forward? Is there any key areas that um, could do with more research and development in? Obviously, there's a whole debate and conversation about sustainability of dairy farming or any farming using cattle at the moment. Um, and I think our industry's got to respond by um, you know, taking this on board and trying to become uh, as clean and efficient as possible. And I think one way of doing that is to, well, to make animals, healthy animals will have less of a carbon footprint because they produce more product for the time they're on earth, et cetera. Um, so I, I think kind of looking at the whole system, how we, well, and, and detecting disease is part of this, really. If you can detect disease earlier, then it's less of an impact on the animal. There's less antimicrobials used, et cetera, et cetera. But going on with that, you know, how do we uh, put beef into the dairy industry and how does that whole system work together? So, you know, putting disease detection into a, into a wider context is, uh, I think, what we need to do, really.
Thanks, Marie. And David, how would you answer that question? Thanks, Stephanie. I think the implementation of the dairy calf strategy is going to have a huge effect on the whole dairy industry. And again, there's potential there for future research. With increased use of uh, sex dairy semen, there's going to be a, an increased supply of dairy bred beef calves. And again, that is one area where there is a huge potential. So essentially, building on this dairy beef supply chain and how we can follow the calves through, is there anything that the dairy system could be doing that would help in terms of like health and production that would have a positive impact on the future supply chain, so the beef calf rearers and the beef finishers? So again, I think that's a huge area of work that could be expanded on. So David, I'm looking around here and I'm just seeing uh, some different types of calf rearing accommodation. Could you just explain a wee bit about the types that you've got here? Yeah, thanks, George. So we have, like you say, a huge um, variation in the types of calf accommodation that we've got at Crichton. So this ranges from the individual calf hutch to a paired rearing calf hutch. And then we move on to the sort of more high-tech feeding systems where we have automatic calf feeders, which record all the visits and all the milk intakes, as well as all the concentrate feed intakes and roughage and water intakes. So that's one aspect. Then we also have the sort of slightly more basic feeding systems that are in bucket systems. And again, these are implemented in group hutch situations which in the Crichton is the calf igloo. And these can accommodate up to maybe 10 to 12 calves at a time. So essentially we have individual, pair and group rearing systems. That's really interesting to hear about what could potentially be researched in the future. I'm sure you've got lots of exciting projects coming your way. Thank you both very much for taking time to speak with us today. No problem. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. Yep, thanks very much. Thank you to all the researchers who are taking their time to participate in this eight-part series, providing an interesting insight into their research and findings. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you have enjoyed it. You can find out about all the other podcasts in the series on the Farm Advisory Service website or from your usual podcast provider, along with many other podcasts available on a whole range of topics. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we are doing by visiting our website on www.fas.scot or if you need advice, please call the helpline on 0300 32 30 161.